In this episode of 9 to I Talks, moderator Annette Insdorf interviews Greta Gerwig about her film Little Women. Gerwig received Oscar nominations for directing and writing Lady Bird, which starred Saoirse Ronan, who also plays the spirited Joe March in this fresh adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's classic novel. The conversation was recorded on December 21st, 2019, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Oh, such a warm welcome for Greta Gerwig, and I don't blame any of you for cheering. Um, I have seen all the previous film versions, and we were just talking about this, and, and they've all, I think, been true to what Louisa May Alcott was presenting in terms of young women's moral integrity, creativity, individuality, loyalty. But you have done something, I think, even more special than the previous versions. And I must say that it's precisely because, as we know, Hollywood films have tended to present male heroes. Mm -hmm. And Little Women is going to be finding its audience amid the rather testosterone-fueled films of the year like The Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And all I can say is thank goodness that you have made this film. <laughs> So first, I was curious whether, in writing the film, you were already thinking of Saoirse Ronan for Joe and Timothée Chalamet for Laurie because you had just directed them in uh, Lady Bird, or was it that you started writing the script before Lady mm. Bird? Yes. Um, well, uh, first of all, this is amazing. I really had no idea that this you all were going to be here when that <laughs> curtain went up. So thank you. Um, uh, and also, I apologize, I'm a, I'm a little under the weather, but I think I'm very well mic'd, everyone can hear me, and I'm too far away to breathe on you, so <laughs> you're safe. Um, uh, no, I started, I actually started writing this script, um, hmm, well, to go back for a second, I, I mean, this book, I loved this book when I was growing up, and I read it over and over again, it was, it was like, it was my book, it was one of my books, and, um, it was so intertwined with who I was, it was kind of indistinguishable from my own life. Uh, and then I, I hadn't read the book until I, like since I had been, I'd been like 15, and then I read it again when I was 30. And I was, I couldn't believe it. I, I felt like it was so much stranger and more urgent and modern than I had remembered. There was all this stuff that I thought I'd, I'd never heard the first time. And I instantly wanted to make it into a movie. I had an idea for how I wanted to do it. And so I talked myself into the rooms at Sony and I told them I wanted to write it and I told them I wanted to direct it. But I hadn't, I hadn't made Lady Bird yet. So the, there was no, they, they were like, who, who are you? <laughs> they were like, are you, do you act or are you funny? I don't know what's happening. Um, but I, but they, luckily, they, they said yes to me writing the script. And so when I wrote the script, I didn't actually know Timothy or Saoirse yet. So I wrote, uh, I wrote, I guess, I guess now it was like five years ago that I wrote, um, God, was that five years ago? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my life is flashing before my eyes. <laughs> um, uh, but in any case, I wrote a, a few drafts, and then I, I went away. I made Lady Bird. I directed it. It came out, and then I went back, and um, I worked on the script again as we were leading up to um, making it. So I did... I, I, by the time I was working on the 
the, the, the more recent draft, I knew, I knew it was them. Okay. And I think one of the reasons that the film works as well as it does is the casting. Mm -hmm. This is an ensemble piece, and some of my students know that I have a, 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 a particular love for collective protagonists as mm -hmm. opposed to the sole hero or heroine. And there are no villains in this movie. You've cast it in such a way that even the small roles, mm. they breathe and your actors are remarkable. Could you talk a little about the casting? For example, previous versions mm. have had Friedrich as an aging German professor and you've got Louis Garel, uh, the, the French actor. If you could talk about the decision, for example, to have him, and I'm also curious, of course, about the greatest actor living in our world, Meryl Streep. Um, those were the two that I was most curious about. Sure. Well, uh, I, I'm, I, you know, I adore my cast. I think one of my very favorite things about being a director is working with actors because of that very thing. Like, I, I, the thing I've always wanted is that, that that sense that any one character you see on screen, you could follow them and they'd have a, their own movie. Um, I always love that when I feel that in a movie, and and you need great actors to give you that. Um, so I mean, everyone from you know, obviously Queen Meryl to um, <laughs> to uh, I mean Chris Cooper yeah. is extraordinary. I mean the, Jane Hudichell, who is, plays Hannah, is an, uh, one of the best actresses in America. In case anyone saw the Glenda Jackson King Lear, mm. um, Jane Hudichel was wonderful as the, uh, was it Gloss? I forgot the name, but excellent performance. She's, yes, and she's, um, she was also, um, I mean, I, I saw her when I was in college, actually. I was at Barnard and I saw her in the, yeah! <laughs> Barnard. Um, I saw her in the Lisa Cron play Well um, on Broadway. Um, and I don't know if anyone else saw that, but it was great. She was amazing, and, and I've, I've always had her in my, in my mind. I mean, one of the nice things about like going to theater and being in New York is that you just collect this list of actors you hope you get to work with and, um, and then, you know, make them be in your, your movie. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so, oh, so Louis, uh, yes. Uh, he, well, in the book, they described um, Professor Bear as being, uh, they say he has not a single handsome feature on his face. And I was like, it's the movies, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> I was like, no. Also, my, my feeling was always like, I mean, it's, I mean, we don't love Jo March because she marries a German professor. That's not like the reason girls have, have looked to her. So I took some liberties. I also felt like I was allowed to take liberties because I feel like for the history of cinema, men have been putting glasses on hot women and saying that they're like awkward. And so I was like, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> And then Meryl Streep, um, it, uh, she is, I, I mean, she, she basically told me she was going to be in the movie. And um, <laughs> that was a wonderful day. Um, no, she was, uh, she, she we, we had a lunch and, and she talked about how much the book had meant to her. And, and, and she, I, I mean, she was just, I, I mean, 
in addition to being one of the greatest actors uh, that's ever been on screen, she's also just one of the smartest people I've ever talked to. She's so, she's so astoundingly intelligent about story and character and, and, and how to build a, a film. And so what I took from her in that meeting was not just her and the character she was going to play. It was, it was also a new understanding of the film I was trying to make. She has sat in that chair twice in the history of real pieces. And I can add that she's also, <laughs> she's also extremely kind and oh. generous. Yeah. She's not just brilliant as an actor and as in, in her understanding of narrative. Um, and I love the way that she's essentially playing against type. Because mm. from the moment you see Aunt March, she is so imperious and exacting mm. and judgmental. All of the things that Queen Meryl is not. No, <laughs> so. no, she's she's uh, she's none of those things. Although she does she does in in a wonderful. I mean, it's not method at all, but it's um, it's she just has this wonderful gentle way of when someone says something about Aunt when we were working and someone said something about Aunt March on set or said like or Aunt March is this way or that way and she'd say, but she's right, <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're. You're a real advocate for your own character, which is uh, I don't know. It was um, it was it was sort of wonderful. But I mean, she's I, I could I, I mean I, just one thing about her. Um, well, she is when she shows up on set, uh, she comes. She's completely ready. She's in her full hair makeup. I never see her look at uh, sides. Her lines, it's all in her head, and she sits for her own lighting. Um, so she sits down and everyone lights around her. Like usually you can have a stand and sit for your lighting. And I just, it, it's the most wonderful thing. She's like, I, I mean, it makes everyone work so fast <laughs> when the, Mer <laughs> sorry, now I'm choking. <laughs> um, when Meryl's sitting for her, her lighting and, um, and, it, and it makes everyone else sit for their lighting. And, and it just, I mean, she just really is, um, She's all around a superstar. No, I mean, she leads by example. Yes. And, and I, yes. I can just imagine how every young actress on the set would have been looking to her for a certain, not just guidance about how to play a part, but how to be an actor in, in a respectful set. That's um, right. And she and, and Chris Cooper co-starred in Adaptation, this uh, Charlie Kaufman film years ago. So when he asked her, you know, to dance, I just had this little shiver because I, I vaguely remembered that. And I know. I don't know if that was I something know. you were thinking about. I know. No, I, I, I did. When, certainly when they were standing around and making jokes and, and having this shared history. And it was just, it was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now... Timothy Chalamet said about you in directing this film that you make an actor feel seen. Mm. And I, I found that really evocative and I, I was wondering what that might consist in. Mm. So if, if you could talk, whether you have a sense of what that means or not, but for example, um, did you do many takes? Like if an actor wanted to do something or did you prefer fewer takes in yeah. order to not, you know, I mean, I do, I like, I like doing, uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not like a Fincher take person, like I'm not, it's not hundreds, but I do like to do a lot of them, primarily because I like to give 
I do like to give the actors space to explore. And I mean, we do a lot of rehearsal. So I, I mean, I, I, like, I like working with actors ahead of time. And I, I, don't, I don't do improvisation. I like the lines said as written. I'm actually remembering something yes. you said on the Telluride Film Festival panel that yes. we did together about Ladybird. You said that you did four weeks of rehearsal with them yes. and then sent them away for a while before coming back to actually shoot. Yeah. Did you have the luxury of that here? Sadly, well, no, I didn't have quite the luxury of that here because I was, I had two weeks with them in a kind of concentrated amount right before we started shooting. But I would do mini rehearsals with them um, in wherever they were. So like Timothy was in Europe, so I was there with him in Florence and Sertia. And then I found Eliza in New York and I was kind of catching them where I could. Um, but I, 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 like, I like giving actors space to spread out. I, I never, because, I mean, movies are strange because movies are, uh, they're the, one of the only timed art forms. Uh, you know, it, truly they're made in prep because once you're on set and that clock's running, you're not really making new decisions at that point. You're, you're, you know, the pressure's on. But within that, I want the actors to feel like they have all the time in the world. And not only do I want them to feel like they have all the time in the world, I want them to feel like if they didn't get it today, we can come back tomorrow. And so creating that kind of environment, uh, it's not about the number of takes. It's about the feeling of, of, of getting everyone to... Um, yes, yeah, stretch that feeling of time. Um, because I think that it allows people to do their best work because they feel safe and they feel supported. Right. Although it's interesting to hear you say that the film is made mainly in prep, in the preparatory. For example, you did the script and then you're well, I presume you did a storyboard. Yes. But I, the second time watching this tonight, mm -hmm. I got the feeling that so much seemed to be a function of the post-production, of editing. Mm. You have these graceful transitions. Mm. This is one of the only films I've seen recently anyway, where flashbacks are not announced, but I always knew what the time frame was. Yeah. And I realized how intelligently you did that, not only in terms of something we talked about earlier, the visual palette where the present day is more pearly gray blue, mm -hmm. sad with Beth's death, the past is more vibrant warm. It's also the way you have these, um, you know, elegant transitions like a beach scene to a beach scene or mm. Laurie looking at Joe writing in her attic. Cut to Joe in her attic, but we're in New York. Yeah. And we somehow know that. Was that in the script or was that primarily in the editing? That was all in the, in the script. I tend to write to cuts um, in my script in my script and I'm when I'm when I'm on set I'm always um I mean I'm I've I've shot listed and storyboarded but I've also I'm always asking my my script supervisor or script supervisor who's sitting next to me I, not that I know exactly how I'm going to cut a scene but I always think okay if I end on this can I cut to this you know if I'm ending on like this coffee cup and then the next thing I see is a wide of this thing you know of you know whatever the street is that going to work and I'm always thinking of what are we going out on what are we coming to um that's I, I've thought about that in the writing and then I think about it all the way through while I'm um shooting I think some of that is a function of coming from independent movies because you don't ha you're you're always 
you just need to get the thing exactly as it should be. So you're always, um, and also because just as you make a movie in prep, you also, when you're writing a movie, that's, that's, that's also free. I mean, in terms of for you, you can spend all the time you want working that and making sure like this cut will work, that cut will work, this moves this way. You can, that's, that's your time um, before you involve everyone. Okay. I, I, obviously, you have the most wonderfully integrated and coherent sense of how, from the very beginning, this film is going to gradually gestate, you mm -hmm. know, and grow into something that has its own internal rhythms and, and peaks and valleys and whatever else. I'm guessing, though, because I, I know for a mm -hmm. fact that we share a passion for a particular filmmaker. Mm. And I wouldn't be surprised to learn that you made a lot of choices to have French collaborators, whether it's an actor like Louis Garrel or a composer like Alexandre Desplat, and that's Francois Truffaut. Yes. Now, as some of you know, I, I, my first book was about Truffaut, I was his translator, and I have been teaching his work for many years. And in watching your film, I just was so moved by a few things that I suspected mm. You got, yes. not from independent films, but from French New Wave, especially That's Truffaut. Right. For example, the very notion of somebody, a letter that's being read, he, Frederick delivers it directly to the camera. That, no, that's, that's straight from um, Two English Girls, yeah. 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 No. So um, I guess I do want to push this just for a moment. I hope the audience will indulge me because I'm sure that you're here more to talk about little women than all the inspirations. But from the very beginning of the film, yeah. I felt that you were simultaneously telling the story mm. of mm. Joe March and her family, which is a wonderful thing to do, mm. and that you were also in a gentle way self-consciously celebrating the process of telling a story. In other words, the way that a book becomes a living thing, we see the book, mm. Little Women, with mm -hmm. its red cover and gold emblem at the end of the opening credits, and of course it comes back yes. so beautifully at the end where we see, as in Truffaut's films, the process of making a book, of the binding, of the tactile nature, the physicality of a book as a living thing. Right. And was that also always in your screenplay or did that come later? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, speaking letters to ca camera was always in my screenplay and Truffaut was on my mind because I, when I wanted to make a, a, this movie, uh, I think often period pieces can feel quite heavy. They can feel quite nailed to the floor. Like you can, it's like how much everything costs, you can really feel it. <laughs> like, uh, and I wanted it to feel light on its feet and I wanted it to feel irreverent. I didn't want it to feel chaotic. I wanted it to feel very, very choreographed, but I wanted it to feel uh, effervescent and pizzicato. And it, for me, Truffaut's movies are are period pieces that just feel lighter than air, and I, you know, I've, I I think a lot about the um, the opening sequence in Jules and Jim of them just running around, and he's cutting and using all the stuff that you see in five minutes anyway, but he's just going to put it here, and it just has this kind of like we're just doing this, and you feel totally at ease with this world, and um, so. I, and, I, and I've always loved I've always loved re reading letters to camera, and I think it's a subtle cue that, to me, when a character reads to camera, um, it's it's like a sign that the movie's in charge 
it's not uh, it, it, it's not something that's being intravenously delivered to you. It's um, something that's speaking directly to you. But we, it's, you're breaking the fourth wall. Yes. So there's always for me a, a little bit of an eye wink at the audience that mm -hmm. obviously this character is not speaking to us. Yeah. But yes, because we're aware that there's a camera and now we're again aware of the process yes. of the movie coming to us. The process of the movie. And then with the book too, and to your point, I mean, this is um, this is probably just because I'm I I miss I miss college. Um, is I make I made this movie like a like multiple layers of meaning. Like I was writing a paper, but I, but it's it's a you know it's a, it's it's about this source material, but it's also about it is a movie about making movies. It's a movie about making art. I mean, it is. I reread the essay, the Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, when I was when I was thinking about shooting um, the, the printing press, it's because it's something that is from in here that suddenly gets out there and then it's being made by a machine into an object that people buy. And then similarly with film, it, it, you know, it's being constructed. And I, I, I think I'm always fascinated by those questions um, of how, how that transmits. And I think further because because it's adaptation, and now now I feel like this. I'm just now. I mean, this is just me. I have a fever, and I'm just describing what's inside my head. But that, but I but I truly feel like what's so fascinating to me is like there's Louisa May Alcott, and then and that's in her real life, and then there's Joe March, who's sort of her avatar, and there's all these things that are different between Louisa May Alcott and Joe March. The, you know the the Alcotts were wretchedly poor. They were not the genteel poor. Uh, you know she she never got married. She never had children. Joe March does all this other stuff. So those are those two. That there's that distance. And then you're adding me, and I'm writing her, writing her, writing her. Like and and then and and then it it just it it it's like this kaleidoscope. And I felt like there was no way for me to represent all of these layers except for by making something cubist. And, and that's part of what I was kind of trying to do with um, all of that. Well, your ending, it's, I call it the you, you have your cake and eat it too ending. <laughs> because if Tracy Letts is the editor, opines early on, uh, if your character's a girl, she has to be married or dead at the end, either yeah. one. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the correct ending is the one that sells. Yes. Okay. For a studio too, I'm sure. So you get to show us, you know, Joe, who will run after Frederick yeah. and presumably have the happy end in Hollywood terms. Yeah. But what you really show us is that the book, the book is created and she is smart enough and brave enough to go to her editor and argue and bargain for the copyright and higher percentage. Yeah. And this is where your film is totally different, I think, from previous incarnations cinematically of the novel. It is an exceedingly modern interpretation or contemporary interpretation that acknowledges that women have to understand how economics fits into the world, not just love or yeah. desire or motherhood, but how do you make your living and that is what you give us in Joe. Well, that 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 question of, um, uh, I mean, authorship, ownership, women, art, money, 
uh, that that's that's a what I what I sort of thought was at the center of the book, and it's underneath the book, and um, you know, I it's the it's the 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 thing that Virginia Woolf wrote about uh, in a room of one's own that everyone remembers as you know to write you need a room of one's own, and it's very romantic. But what she actually said was you need a room of one's own and money. That's, I mean, it is what she said. And she said, you need it. And she gives a number amount. And she's like, that's how much money you need. And she says, she said that the question, because she was asked to speak on why are there no great women writers? Right. And she said, that's not the question. The question isn't why are there no great women writers? The question is why have women always been poor? Because women have always been poor. And... Poetry depends upon intellectual freedom, and intellectual freedom depends upon material things. Right. And so, what, how are you going to write? And so I felt like when I researched Louise's life and her, um, and what she, I mean, I put this in the, the movie, but she, she taught herself how to write with her left hand as, um, as well as her right, because... Um, well, she, she, she had to go out to work to, uh, to sew when she was a teenager because they, they, were, so, they were so poor. And um, she would write the stories in her head while she was sewing during the day. And then she'd get home at night and write them down because she was going to sell them to like uh, sort of penny dreadful papers. Um, but her hands would cramp and bleed. So she taught herself how to write with her left hand to keep writing. I mean, that's how much writing as a thing for her to make money, to make her way in the world meant for her. And, and then, you know, I, then you cut to later, and I included this line in the movie because I, I thought it was so great. She'd published a novel which was, um, which was panned by Henry James, <laughs> which, like, you could go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, who, was who was born... You know, this is a fancy guy. And then she, you know, he, he, he didn't have to sell books, you know, to, for his family to live. And so, and her response was, I can't afford to starve on praise. And I was like, well, that's so great. So yeah. I gave it to her. But that kind of underneath, uh, that, that thing running underneath the, the novel and her life is something that continues to be really interesting and emotional to me. And it's just another... It's another, it was another thing that made me feel like I, I had to look at this anew. But you also have that wonderful line that it's, uh, Laurie says to Amy, what women are allowed into the club of geniuses anyway? <laughs> um, and so you acknowledge female aspiration as well as limitation. And for me, the most moving moment in this context is when Joe and Marmy are together, mm. and Joe actually says to her um, that women, it, 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 it angers her that women exist for more than yeah. love. Mm. But then at the very end is that poignant moment, but I'm so lonely. Yes. And I, I read somewhere that you actually added that later. Yes. Could you talk about that a little? First, I just want to say the line about what women are allowed in the club of geniuses anyway, and then... Um, Florence Pugh says, as Amy says, the Brontes. Um, <laughs> like, I, when I wrote that, I literally said to, I was like, this is going to kill. This joke will kill. <laughs> I don't know who I was imagining. <laughs> like, like, everyone being like, oh, it's true, the Brontes. Like, 
<laughs> but I was certain, and I've kept it in the cut. I don't know that it's ever gotten a laugh, but um, a chuckle. But I, but I, I was like, there's some English professor who's gonna be like so happy because, because actually the it's funny because <laughs> here I'll explain why it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because actually the Brontes were acknowledged as being geniuses. Like they were like people in the 19th century were sort of like. I don't know, women, but like those girls, like they are pretty smart. Um, anyway, uh, uh, so that was my joke with myself. Um, uh, yes, the, the, the line about um, women, they, uh, the, the speech about women that Saoirse gives and then she says, but I'm so lonely. Um, that's actually, the speech is from another a book that Louisa wrote, but uh, the, the line, but I'm so lonely, I added that, um, I added that because, I mean, that was one of those lines I just heard, I, 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 heard, I read, I, I like read that section and then I just added, but I'm so lonely. And I just heard Saoirse saying it just as she does in the film. And then, and then I, I went on set and, and it was there and she was, and she did it, and it was it was it was exactly as I would have heard it in my head, and it was amazing. No, to me, it's the difference between a very good scene and a great scene. Yeah, because it's what she's saying is a it's a speech for our time. It's mm. very much a, a galvanizing agenda piece, mm. but that little human element of acknowledging yeah. that she is lonely, and this is before she also acknowledges I maybe shouldn't have said no to Lori, mm -hmm. and she becomes just so much more human, vulnerable and not simply a strident, you know, poster idea. Yes, so. yeah, no. I mean, well, there's a beautiful section in the book where, um, it, which is essentially what I took that, that scene from, uh, where, I, I mean, the book is not narrated by Joe. It's Louisa, presumably, so her, she'll poke through in different areas. And she, um, and in this section where she says, maybe I should have said yes to him, which I feel like everyone understands, even if you don't, you know, even if you don't want to really, like, you, you know, you just think maybe I've made all the wrong choices. But uh, she has, Louisa has this beautiful, long, just speaking as the narrator. She says, um, you know, girls who are five and 20 joke about being old maids, but they, they secretly don't think they will be. And then girls who are um, 30 stop talking about it because they know what's happening. And you're like, oh. And then she, um, it was different times. <laughs> um, and then, but then she, she does this whole beautiful thing about like, she said, be kind to the spinsters, you don't know. She says, you don't know what passions beat under their somber gowns. And she says, what chivalry worth having that isn't, that isn't kind to them. She's speaking to men and women and saying like, you just don't know when you meet someone why the, the, this is what, what, where they, they are, and you don't know what nasty thoughts they have. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons, though, that the film packs a punch when Joe asks, maybe I shouldn't have turned Laurie down, 
is that there is such a natural charismatic connection mm. between the way Saoirse Ronan's Joe and Timothy Chalamet's Laurie yeah. dance in that party scene mm. at night when they have to be outdoors so that her scorched dress isn't visible. And I don't know if it's primarily their natural, mm. you know, buoyancy or the way you shot it, you know, where, where you've or directed it. <laughs> First they're walking, then they're manically dancing when no one's looking, then they're stately. Yeah. It is such a beautiful moment that you can't help but subconsciously yearn for this couple to be together because mm. you think they belong together. Their rhythm, their understanding of each other is so wonderful. Yeah. And, and it becomes a little painful when the rift is obvious. Yes. No, they're, I mean, they're so wonderful on screen together too. Uh, no, we... Those, uh, actually the, the, the dancing was all choreographed by Monica Bill Barnes, who's um, just a, she's a great choreographer. She's, um, she's here in New York and I, I, I love her, her as a performer and her as a choreographer. And I, I wanted her to create dances that were um, tradition, I wanted them to be traditional. I wanted them to be grounded in traditional dances of the time. But uh, actually, I had all the dances throughout the entire movie. They were being danced to, they were dancing to like, uh, like The Cure or Nirvana or like no, I mean or, or like James Brown. Like they were dancing to like modern music because, because even though they were doing traditional dancing, it there's something about the way people move in their bodies when they're hearing music that feels modern. Uh, it's different and it's more because like the thing is like if if you lived in the 19th century and you heard a waltz you would be like no way it's a waltz like you'd be like losing your mind it would be like you'd be like they're playing a song um, and it's like, I didn't know about this time signature their minds were fucking their minds were blown by Strauss they loved it um, and also, I just felt like it gave it that ability to communicate that. So that so she made the dances. We they they danced to modern music, and it had that kind of feeling. But Timothy and Saoirse, they they what, what was so wonderful about them was that they vibrate on the same level. They have the same kind of spark of um, of just just pure light within them, and I think they. They are, you know, what I was hoping for is that they are each other's kind of androgynous other half. That's how they always felt to me. And um, I, I mean, to me, the, the proposal scene, it's not just that Lori wants to be with her uh, and that she doesn't want to, it's that he's leaving childhood without her, that he's leaving that kind of pact that they never talked about. Um, and saying, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to, I want to do another thing. And the, I just, um, I mean, it just, that scene kills me. And the two of them kill me together. But then, you know, Amy's really going to shape him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Florence Pugh is such a wonderful actor. Yes. I saw her in three films this year, Fighting With My Family as a Professional Wrestler and Midsommar, Ari Aster's extremely... Uh, uh, Horror, horror film, 
And then he or she's remarkable as yes. well. But, but I must say, Timothy Chalamet, you capture something in this film that is also visible in the other superb film that he has out this year, mm. The King, mm. uh, where he's King Henry V. Um, he plays dissolute very well. Like when mm. he's, you know, mm. you know he, he, he can't be bothered to get up from his drunkenness. Mm. And then uh, the, the dawning of a maturity, of a nobility, of a kind of coming into his own as a young adult. Yes. That's in both of the yes, films. And he does it so well. That's interesting. Yeah, he'd just come off of the, the king. It was actually, he'd just come off of the king. He kept texting me pictures in a mud pit, like <laughs> surrounded by a bunch of men in armor. And I was like, come to Massachusetts where there's a bunch of ladies. Um, so, we, and he was like, he just was so instantly like, I have my flowy shirt and I'm ready to do this. And I was just like, um, no, he's he's uh, he's he's an extraordinary actor, and it's been um, so much fun to get to to watch him come into his own and try different things. And um, yeah, I mean, he and I mean him, him he and Sertia and him and Florence just really fascinating dynamics, the, the different kind of acting, and, and they're all great. We're gonna take a few questions from the audience, but I did wanna ask you something. When you finished shooting this film about six months ago, uh, a year ago, actually. Yes, a year ago. You yeah. were six months pregnant. Yes. <laughs> and you have since had your baby. Yes. And I was wondering, you know, because the simultaneity, do you feel like you have, in essence, given birth to two living, Beings. I mean, do they do they have that sort of? Um, well, they kind of. I mean, there is a way. I mean, one's a little more important. Yeah. I... Um, but um, no, I mean, uh, both. Uh, no, I, I actually. Um, I I was six months pregnant when I stopped stopped shooting, and then I I cut. I was I was in the editing room the next day after we start stopped shooting because I knew I had like a limited amount of time and 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 then I worked uh, I think I showed the movie to the studio on March 10th and then I gave I had a baby a couple days later so it kind of all went together so it did certainly feel like there was a lot happening. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think for most people, not just women, but for most people, the idea of having a baby, that's one huge thing. And the idea of making a film, and, and of this scale. Lady Bird was wonderful, but it's small scale, an independent film, and this has a kind of uh, a heft to it. Yeah, well, it was, yeah, no, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was, uh, I, I mean, I, I, uh, uh, to be honest, it was it was something where I, you know, at the beginning you don't tell people because you don't tell people, and then as it went on, I just it, there was never really, I don't know. I guess people were just like, I guess the thing is no one's paying attention to you is what I've learned. <laughs> like no one really noticed. Okay. <laughs> um, we are going to take a few questions. Um, uh, I see one on the aisle and one in the middle. I will repeat them. Uh, yes, the woman right there. I think it's a woman, I, I can't see very well. The person who's turning around, <laughs> you refer, oh, it's a gentleman, I'm sorry. Now that the lights are up, feel free to ask your question. Hi. Thank you so much. Oh. Unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you for the unbelievable film.
writer and director, but also because performances are also equally yeah. as incredible. And I was wondering how your work as an actor has both the question from a senior in an acting school is, how has your work as an actor informed the work as a director? Yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, well, um, I'm so glad. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm I'm happy you're in, um, you're 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 in acting school. Um, I'm I'm not. Uh, I feel like well, for me, acting is sort of how I came. I came to everything because it was like my way. It was my way of. Um, it was my way of participating in things that were, were ahead of where I was. Were better than where I was. I mean, even, um, you know, when I loved, I, I, I loved acting and I loved writing when I was in high school. But I didn't really have a sense of being able to do it as my job. But, I mean. Even in scene classes or in student productions when I was in high school or in college, of like it's your way it was my way of interacting with great writing. It was my way of interacting with you know Tennessee Williams or Carol Churchill or Arthur Miller. It was it was sort of testing myself against something that had something enduring. So for me, um, that that process of like this is great and you're kind of trying to figure out how to get, get yourself um, there, that's, that's how I learned what good writing was. I mean, for me, that was, that was kind of the basis of writing. And then, um, and then I, I guess in terms of directing, um, it's just I have such utter empathy for what, what it is you're asking someone to do uh, because I know how hard it is. I mean, I just know it's it's um, it's the most marvelous feeling when it's working as an actor, and when it's not, it feels like you. It's like you you can't. It's like there's wood chips coming out of your mouth, and you can't figure out how to not make it feel like that. Um, so I think um, for me, both as a writer and as a director, being an actor has been the most uh, important thing for me. Um, but yeah, also acting, it is. Um, it's also, it's, it's, it's a, I think uh, Tracy Letts, who's in this movie, is also a great actor and a great writer. And I saw him, uh, speaking of Arthur Miller, he did um, a production of All My Sons on Broadway, which was astonishing. I've, I couldn't believe, I couldn't even look at him afterwards. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I don't know, how many people know that play? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, he put, I mean, he plays the character. I mean, he doesn't. It doesn't end well for him. Um, but and I, I, I was, afterwards, I was like Tracy, and he's like, "Well, when the play's over, all my troubles are done." And I was like, "How are you doing this eight times a week?" But um, but I, I so I'm actually going to be in a play in the spring, which is sort of terrifying. But Tracy told me because I'm going to be do Chekhov, and I was really scared about it. Um, and he said, what better thing could you do for your directing or your writing than to, to try to measure yourself against Chekhov every night? Like, you're not going to come out behind, you know? So I'd say acting has everything to do with it. And may I add that for those who want to get their tickets early, it's going to be Three Sisters um, in, in the spring um, with Oscar Isaac and Sam Gold's off-Broadway production at the New York Theater Workshop. Yes. 
I think I got all those details right. Yes. Now I have something to look forward to uh, after the crazy movie season is yeah. winding down. There was uh, in the middle and then to the right there. Yes. Hi. You have a way of letting your female characters have choices without judging them. Yeah, so like in Lady Bird, Julie talks about going to a community college, and it doesn't, it does this very beautiful thing of not saying like, ugh, oh, that's community college. Like in Lady Bird, Julie's saying about going to community college, but there's no direct condemnation of that. And could you expound on how also in this film, each of the daughters goes on her own journey mm. and is not, and there's no judgment. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I, uh, I guess, um, I guess I'm not really, I'm not really interested in um, a sense of, um, I'm not interested in a hierarchy of lives. I think uh, I'm. I, I I think every. Um, I, I mean, I think something I I think about a lot is uh, well, particularly with women's stories. I think there tends to be an idea that uh, maybe they're not uh, as as epic. Um, but I've always said, you know, there's just as much epicness in kitchens as there are in battlefields. It's the same. Um, and so I don't, I, I try to, in, insofar as, as a filmmaker, you're a world builder, I try not to give value of, 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 of life choices um, in that way because I, because I think, I don't know, now I sound kind of crazy, but I think all of them, I, I believe in, um, I believe in gra grace for everyone. Um, and I think that that's, that's, uh, I hope, I try to communicate that. Um, and I, but, uh, I was going to go on some tangent, but I don't know. It left me, but thank you. <laughs> they, no, I, that means a lot to me because I, I, I care, I, I care very much about, about that, um, about, about, um, stories feeling like the paths have um, value. There was a hand right there. Yes? Um, first, I want to say I'm really grateful that you're here, mm. and I'm grateful to be here. Uh -huh. Really grateful you're here. <laughs> and then I wanted to ask you, mm. Because I'm a reader in addition to an actor and a writer, I would like to know more about other stories that have inspired you. Mm. Well, I will say, um, I just, this is, this is, okay, Middle March, um, that book, it, like, it gen that book is one that I think taught, if a book can make you be a better person, <laughs> Middle March made me a better person. Um, and it speaks to actually what you were asking about different paths. It's a book for me that when I first read it, 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 like take, it took me beyond the 
my kind of juvenile first impressions of people, and then it, and it walks it beyond it, and it says, oh, no, you didn't look at it from this side or that side. And then I read, uh, there's a, actually, Rebecca Mead, I think, wrote a book, like, my, my Life in Middlemarch, but she read it at different points in her life. And anyway, I read it. There, there, there's even characters that I thought the last time I read it, I was sure I hated and I don't. Um, and I think that that, I, 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 I would, I think that book is a, um, is a great one. Um, I mean, this is a boring one. I mean, not boring, but it's, it's just, it's an obvious one, but I do think I mean, Anna Karenina, just read it. it I mean, because I, when I read it, I'd avoided it for so long because I was like, I don't know, there's something about a train. <laughs> like, I didn't, I was like, I was like, I can't do this. And then I read it, I was like, oh, like, I couldn't, it made me so happy when I was reading it. It was just so wonderful. Um, uh, and, and, and I feel like it's so complete. Um, it's so, I can't even believe it exists. Um, um, I think poetry is really great to read, uh, lots of poetry, because I think it's, um, it teaches you how to focus differently. I'm not even particularly well versed in it, so to speak, um, but I think it's, uh, I, I think that uh, that, that it, it helps with my ear and my sense of rhythm, um, but those are suggestions. Um, I think we have time for just one question. There's all the way in the back on the aisle. Yes? I'm really curious about um, the thread that you were talking about earlier uh, where Joe Barton is telling her story and Louise Lane is telling her story. Mm. Um, and then there's that moment where Joe I hope I heard this correctly because I, I was <laughs> further back. Um, going back to this, uh, what you were describing as you're telling Alcott's story, telling Joe's story, right. and how the moment of 2019 impacts on, on that. Did, did, I, yeah. did I get that right? Yeah, thank you. Well, I will say that the one of the, it's like, like Louisa and Joe and me and all of this, and then there was him. Once I had the movie, and then there's like an additional layer of, of meta-ness or cubism or whatever it is, then when I'm having a conversation with a bunch of people, executives about what the movie is, um, myself. So I'm then having a conversation about whether or not we should do the romantic ending just as a romantic ending. Um, so that's like the movie within the movie within the movie that's happening still. So, um, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I think um, it's, uh, speak to the constraints. Well, if I can just add yeah. one thing. The moment of 2019, <clears throat> among other things, differs from previous times in which movie versions of this novel were released 
because you have a lot of strong female producers mm. working with you, mm -hmm. presumably to ensure your vision making it out there. Yeah. Amy Pascal, yeah. Robin Swicord, Denise DeNovi, these are just yeah. some of the names. Yeah. In the old days, it was male executives, male studios, male marketing, everything. I'm guessing that there was a slightly greater support system within which you could argue your vision of interpreting these steps. Yes, yes. I, I, I mean, it's hard because I've only, it's hard for me sometimes I think to speak as, a, as like how is this, the, the question of like sort of how has this been for me as a woman is always a little hard for me to talk about because I don't have an alternate reality. Like, I don't know what it would be another way. Um, I, but I, so I've, I, I feel, and I have had such amazing um, good fortune to meet collaborators and champions who've gotten behind the things that I've wanted to do. Um, I, but, I mean, I think, I, I, I'll just, to, to say something Meryl said, because it's, because she's smarter than me, is, um, what I find fascinating is, and this is, she said this, is she said, so the whole book, Joe, Joe says, I want to be a boy. And she says it the whole time. She's like, I should have been born a boy. I want to be a boy. And um, there's lots of ways to read that. But, but one, one way is just that, why wouldn't she want to be a boy? There was literally nothing women could do in the 19th century. Nothing. They couldn't do anything. They, they had no options. Why wouldn't you want to be the person who had the options? Um, and Meryl said something. She said, women have all kinds of practice imagining themselves as men. We do it all the time. And as, as, as readers, as um, moviegoers, um, you're always projecting yourself into the, the, the headspace of a male protagonist. And it's really fun to do it. Um, and that they're, on the flip side, men do not have quite as much practice imagining themselves as women. The, the, I mean, starting from the, it's not their fault. If starting from the time they're little kids, the, the, they'll, they'll be less likely to be taken to a, a movie about a girl. Um, and that sort of not being able to imagine that is um, something that I think is being changed right now, which I think is, excellent, um, is that kind of being able to take the imaginative leap into the, um, into the space of uh, not just the feminine, but uh, the space of another, uh, of another narrative arc. Um, I think it's happening, and I think that's wonderful. And I think that Louisa actually conceived of something like that, because she can, had a feminism that was not exclusionary. It was a it was a rising tide that lifted all boats. She could see already that Lori Lawrence is just as happy to put down the masculinity stuff and come be a March sister. I mean, that's, he's the, he, he wanted to be one of them. And, and how pleasurable that was and how needed it was. And so I think, um, I think that's to say that 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 um, that act of imagination is something she already knew, 
It's something we're coming to. And it's the thing that movies can do. They're empathy machines. And so I'm hopeful. Well, not every film is an empathy machine. This year there have been a few that fulfill that title, many that don't. Um, but I would say that you have given us this wonderful gift for Hanukkah and Christmas of a beautifully crafted motion picture Thank you. that is empowering. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. That's so nice. Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92y.org archives.